Hello everyone and welcome to Marking the Roll, the podcast for teachers. Uh, once again, we're based in the Illawarra, but we're for teachers everywhere. My name is Phil Dye. I'm an ex-teacher, uh, an ex-journalist, uh, a musician, and have a strong interest in education. During this podcast, unfortunately, you're going to hear some odd noises because uh, we're based in the Illawarra and the east coast of Australia and the east coast of New South Wales is being hammered by strong winds. This morning we had winds up to 116 kilometres per hour in uh, the Illawarra. Uh, So unfortunately, this is not a soundproof studio. It's actually a third bedroom. And you're going to hear some knocking and some winds, and hopefully it'll die down during the recording. This is episode six, and last week in episode five, we looked at behavior and some of the behavior management strategies used by some of um, Australia's leading behavior experts. Um, and uh, just to revise, one of them was to was to not back down when you give an instruction to a student even if their behaviour escalates, is to not give them more options. And a great example that uh, was used by uh, Ian Luscombe was that if you ask the um, student to put the book on the table and they say, uh, no, I refuse, uh, many teachers will say, well, how about you just put it on the floor? And they do that in order to avoid escalation. But the idea is to always stick with the initial instruction, provided, of course, that instruction is fair and reasonable and the student is capable of carrying it out even if it escalates um, and we deal with the escalation but once you start giving options it really does stretch the boundary um, and lets the student get away with anything they want to. Another interesting comment was that trauma, poor home life, disability or just being tired does not excuse bad behaviour from a student and sometimes teachers tend to use any of those reasons to excuse the bad behavior you know trauma um, poor home lives disability uh, simply just you know not feeling well is no excuse for bad behavior and last week leah thomas the principal from st thomas aquinas school said that it explains the behavior but it doesn't excuse the behaviour or the abuse thrown at a teacher by a student. It's important for the students to understand this, and it's really important for the teachers to understand it as well. The teacher shortage is pretty dramatic all over the country. The um, uh, Education Minister for New South Wales has been talking about uh, FIFO, fly-in, fly-out teachers. Well, that solution hasn't been met with much respect, I'm afraid. And we were lucky enough to get an interview with her, and that interview will be later on in the podcast. She had some very interesting things to say, and it's well worthwhile uh, staying in tune just for that. Also, this episode was supposed to have Laura Milkins, who is in charge of the new behaviour policy and inclusion policy, also for the New South Wales Department of Education. Uh, She was sick last week with the flu, and she's also sick again this week with the flu. So I'm hoping to interview her for episode seven. I did manage to get uh, Mark Grant. Mark is the CEO of the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership. 
And he had this to say about the shortage of teachers. Look, to states and territories, um, you know, that employ teachers in, in the three sectors of government, public, uh, sorry, government, uh, independent and Catholic sectors, really, uh, really are for the first time, I think, starting to realise um, what some of those shortages are looking like uh, against a growing student population and a growing um, increase in uh, schools. And that's uh, projected to increase if you look at Australian Bureau of Statistics figures, um, 2030, for instance, 21% increase in uh, students in that year compared to last year in 2021. Um, in terms of uh, some of the factors driving the shortage, um, we've got a, a multitude in different parts of Australia that range from um, expected retirement uh, of baby boomer type uh, uh, employees. We've got increasing student enrolments. We've got a, an industry um, in education where some of the skill sets of our teachers are attractive to other parts of Australian society. So I'm thinking of our maths teachers and our science teachers and others where they're, um, they're uh, paid a better salary than uh, our maths and science teachers, for instance, are paid. And that's broadly true for STEM. And then, of course, we've got what we've heard a lot about in recent years about that increasing and suffocating uh, red tape an administrative burden that's taken um, a little bit of the fun away for many teachers in terms of what they uh, expected to be able to do as teachers with students, and that is focusing on teaching and learning. It's interesting you say that because in our research, it's the number one reason that teachers uh, are leaving the profession is the, the the massive increase in paperwork and admin. Yeah, look, you hear you hear that a lot, and um, Aitzel did, um, was asked to do a national project. Um, across Australia a few years back on reducing red tape, which which we did. And basically we found that some of the red tape is um, created outside the school by employers and, and uh, others like boards and things like that for, say, the independent sector schools. Um, but some of the red tape was created inside the school as well by schools choosing to put an extra layer on top of what you might call minimum requirements um, but the end result's the same, that for the teachers um, across 9,500 schools, there's just more to do, and it's not teaching and learning focus. That's right. So, so what's the answer, Mark, to this? How are we going to fix it? Look, some administration needs to be done. There's no doubt about that. But I, I think it's got to the point from what I'm hearing from, say, the national principal stakeholders from around Australia, that really the skill sets that are in schools now um, need to be expanded. There's there's more required of schools, uh, and some of it can only be done by educators. But there are other things required of schools, such as complying with, say, the NDIS and other accountability mechanisms, where perhaps we need to look at an increasing role of paraprofessionals to assist in carrying mm. out some of the duties. And some of that includes um, OH&S requirements and, and basically site maintenance where at the moment we ask our chief educator, the school principal, but, to pick up those um, responsibilities. And in fact, perhaps they need someone to lead that inside their school so they can remain the chief educator. Yes. And, and what about the teacher shortage generally across the country? What can be done for that? Look, unfortunately, it's not as quick as turning on a light switch. Um, in the main university um, and tertiary sector preparation, and we've got 47 institutions in Australia that prepare the teachers of tomorrow. It's a it's a four-year process in the main. Um, there are some who come in for shorter courses and mid-career changes and things like that, but the vast bulk come in through the normal undergraduate program. 
Um, it's not a short uh, solution. <clears throat> there are some temporary measures that can be exercised, and there are states and territories who are doing exactly that now. South Wales. Fly and fly out? Well, I've heard about fly and fly out. I, I don't know enough about it, but um, you've still got to be, have the teachers to fly in. Um, <laughs> That's exactly but right. But the, um, the New South Wales government has commissioned us, for instance, to bring in 560 teachers from overseas through our assessment for migration function. Um, I know Western right. Australia is bringing in some STEM teachers, teachers with STEM speciality from Canada. Um, so that there are definitely employers who are absolutely on the front front foot with this, um, but it is a, a problem that is uh, that is going to be with us for a while, I think. Even even yeah. today, Phil, uh, I see in the media, um, in uh, the Herald Sun in uh, Victoria, you know, there's figures of 11,000 Victorian teaching positions being unfilled. Um, and I see yeah. in New South Wales, the, the secondary uh, principals council president, uh, talking about having raised concerns over teacher shortages for many years, and it was predominantly rural and socially disadvantaged areas in specific subjects like maths and science and technology. Um, but now um, he reports it being widespread across all of New South Wales. So it's not a problem that we're um, we're going to see uh, dissipate in the short term. No. Uh, look, la last year I worked for the Department of Health and when there was a, a health worker shortage and a doctors and nurses shortage, uh, they brought in retired doctors, retired nurses, and uh, from application to feed on the ground was only a couple of days. Um, yet um, it seems that to get back into the teaching service, and, and you know people my age would be perhaps one of them, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to do that. Could that be be fast-tracked, do you think? Look, I'd like to think that the employers in those three education sectors are looking at exactly that now and, and the incentives to provide to recently retired teachers, for instance, and, and principals to come back into the service. Um, no doubt there are some complexities around those that have accessed superannuation and all the things that go with the requirements to do so. But I'd like to think that those uh, matters are being looked at right now for the reasons that you've just said. Yep. And look, finally, Mark, 30% um, of the our listeners are, are principals, which amazed me. We get a lot, lot of uh, feedback from, from school principals. If you were going to give them one uh, bit of advice about handling this teacher shortage, what would it be? Oh, look, giving 9,500 principals the same advice is a bit tricky because they, they represent states and territories and three sectors. But I think clearly at the school level, they have their own workforce planning quite clear in front of them. They know the subjects they need teachers for. They know the electives their students are likely to be interested in. The difficulty they have is that they need some help to match the interest of students in the way they pick uh, electives, for instance, in secondary schools, and the ability to deliver that through the expertise of a teacher qualified in that subject. They really need, and the advice I give, they really need um, to be having conversations uh, with their board or with the uh, the state employer or the Catholic diocese about um, the future workforce planning that brings demand, the likely demand for future teachers in certain subjects to match supply that our universities um, are put out there now. I can say, Phil, this is not a teacher's problem, a uh, principal's problem. The, the supply from universities is really um, provided in the absence of the employers telling the universities what they need in the years to come. It's very difficult for universities to work with principals to meet a supply problem. 
when the employers are unable to give them any demand data. Um, just quickly on that about the universities, um, I, one of my hats is I'm a tertiary supervisor for Macquarie University and I go into the classrooms and look at the teachers that are just coming out and some of them have a, got a head full of academic knowledge. They know lots of policies and they know all of it, but they don't know any behaviour management tools. Is there anything that can be done in the tertiary sector to equip teachers uh, better for the classroom and therefore make them stay longer? Well, look, certainly there is. I mean, the Australian professional standards for teachers, um, for those in initial teacher education, include the components around classroom management. And maybe in some of those 47 institutions, that might need a bit more attention in that um, undergraduate program. But again, um, there are attributes uh, for an effective teacher beyond just, as you said, the academic capability of the student that goes to the interpersonal with both students and colleague teachers and the broader parent community. And there are institutions now um, that enrol students on a multitude of entry criteria to try and pick some of that up. In fact, Phil, the data that I'm uh, aware of shows that only 25% of enrolments into initial teacher education now come specifically and only with an ATAR. The other 75% come through additional pathways, including some of that soft skills selection criteria you're referring to. All right, Mark, it's been great talking to you. I'd love to talk to you uh, other times when we've got different topics in the podcast. Um, but thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Phil, and uh, thanks very much for the opportunity. And that's an interesting idea, isn't it? The idea of a paraprofessional to help uh, teachers in schools to fill out uh, information for the NCCD, uh, for NESA, um, and take all the administrative work off teachers. Uh, that's one of the better ideas that I've heard over the last um, six, six weeks. Um, doctors have it, lawyers have it, why not teachers? And now it's time for a brain break. Brain break is where we just have a, a musical interlude to give your brain a little bit of a rest so that you can come back after it refreshed. Um, this is from a duo called Matthias Barter and Rachel Hennessy. Rachel is from the Illawarra. Um, and this is their song, Goodbye, Miss Almost Right. Water a plant 
too little or much it dies But I don't understand how I made so much water come from your eyes And I couldn't be the one that you deserve And even though it hurts We might thank each other afterwards Au revoir and goodbye As we both go on with separate lives And someday this could work out But I know it's not right now Oh, and goodbye Miss Almost Right And I meant every word When I said those fateful three It's absurd But I hope that's not what pushed you away from me And if I could find a moral To be learned I'd leave some stones unturned Life's not a race And love's not Uh, Matthias Barter and Rachel Hennessy. It's a, it's a great rhythm, isn't it, that song? Um, if you're looking for them on Spotify, just look up The First One. That's their album, The First One. And I believe they both share the same surname now. I was out and about uh, around Thoreau in the Illawarra the other day. I spoke to a teacher about how the, the teacher shortage was affecting School. How are you handling the teacher shortage? Um, well, it's a little bit difficult at the moment. We're in the Catholic sector, so I guess the biggest flow-on effect is that we're coming into work tired and deprived and having been sick ourselves at the expense of our families. So people, I'd say people are more um, coming in probably when they shouldn't um, for their own well-being and health. Um, yep. We're also having to sometimes book classes together. Um, does that does that affect the education of the students? 
Yes, well, you're not in a day, in a single day, you're teaching seven subjects, and you would want that uh, a teacher that knows those students and their needs because the learning is often differentiated. So, yes, it's just, it turns out to be sort of more basic learning. However, I'd say that we teach to a high standard. So, we're trying our best. And of course, the teacher shortage is causing class crowding when one teacher is sick in a school and They can't get a casual, their class is shared around. But when two teachers or three or four or five are sick in a school, there's a lot of students to share amongst the other classes, especially when the casual numbers are already taken up. We have maybe 10 extra, 12 extra students in a room. And how can the teacher possibly cater for them as well as their existing class? So when you hear politicians saying that this is not affecting a student's education, they are most certainly wrong. It is affecting students' education, and parents should be asking the questions about that. I spoke to an ex-principal, Peter Porteous, who also now works for a uh, university, about what could be done to attract quality students into uh, a teaching career um, and help them on their way and maybe make them stay a bit longer? Uh, Well, there's a variety of ways, Phil. Um, I I think uh, um, a more solid career path uh, for them uh, does help and mentoring does help. Um, I think that they need to be put on permanency as soon as possible. Um, I think that they need to see opportunities there that uh, uh, expand beyond the classroom sometimes, uh, perhaps going back into the universities after they've got a few years under their belt and um, uh, giving the universities a, um, uh, a practical slant to um, uh, teaching because quite a lot of it's um, just academic. So we have a retired principal and now someone who works for a university in education saying that the casuals require a more solid career path, something to put them onto permanency so that uh, they know that they can depend on their career and be secure in it. This fantastic army of casuals that are trying to, um, you know, fill up the the, the holes with this um, shortage of teachers are doing a great job, but a lot of them are leaving the banks of that casual army because it is casual and because they're not getting any permanency out of it. They can't get a bank loan. Um, They feel insecure. And why not go somewhere else where they do feel secure? Another thing that Peter Porteous just said was that maybe teachers after five years or so can go back into the university and bring some practical experience to teacher education. Because at the moment, teacher education is very uh, academic. There's very little practical information given to students and indeed practical skills given to those teaching students. When I trained in general primary as my first degree back in 1977 or something, for the primary kids we had to learn all of the sports, the rules for soccer, netball, tennis, be able to play them uh, and be able to teach it. We had to learn art. We had to uh, do art classes. We had to do literature classes, children's literature. We had to play a musical instrument. We had to teach 
singing to kids. And I remember sitting up the back of a class was this guy, um, Mr. Heading, his name was, and he had a suit on and he evaluated me as to how I could teach the class a song. Now, all of those things are lacking. When you think about it, singing songs is a basic skill for a primary school teacher, but they don't do it these days. Peter Porteous again. Um, also, uh, they they need to be paid well. You know, they, they, uh, there's no uh, uh, getting away from the fact that teachers are underpaid, as we've seen just recently with the strike. But um, uh, so there's a variety of different ways uh, they need to be mentored uh, more effectively, and if that means releasing them from the classroom, say for teachers in the country who are in remote areas, and maybe in a two-teacher school where uh, that mentoring uh, is not available or you know very limited, um, they should be able to connect with um, uh, larger schools uh, within the within the region and maybe move around a little bit to. Um, uh, to gain experience and mentorship there. I then asked Peter about the concept that teachers could have one term off with full pay every five years so that they could go overseas, they could experience a different culture, they could even work in another job, they could do something else which would bring some life back into their teaching. Uh, and he had this to say. Well, I think possibly a term is a bit short, maybe two terms, uh, but it's all funding, you know. Uh, a term is a little bit short, but it could work. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, everything's to do with funding. Every time a teacher takes a day off or a term off or whatever, be it long service leave, uh, maternity leave, um, uh, professional, uh, uh, you know, development, uh, they then have to pay for it. And uh, there just needs to be more funds poured into education by the government. Yes, indeed. Ain't that the truth? Of course, over the last two years with COVID, we've had governments everywhere pouring money into health and uh, COVID campaigns. And of course, other areas have missed out. And one of those big areas that have missed out is education. And it's time to now correct that and I don't know what it's like in other states. I'd be interested to know. Uh, but in New South Wales, the Perite government has just allocated an extra $4.5 billion to the health sector. Yes, every public sector employee has got a 3% wage rise. But the real killer is that health workers, frontline health workers, have all been allocated a $3,000 bonus. Now, I don't know how that makes teachers feel, but I think teachers have worked pretty hard as well during the pandemic and need some sort of consideration. I managed to catch up with the New South Wales Minister for Education and uh, I asked her some questions about the teacher shortage. Uh, Minister, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast what can you do to change the teacher shortage? Look, in my mind, Phil, there isn't a shortage of teachers. There's just too many students. I'm in talks with leaders about lowering the leaving age of students from school to 12 years of age. We'll introduce a primary school certificate or equivalent. So, so let me get this straight. You're saying that the students can leave school formally at 12? Yes. The kiddies can get their 
uh, primary school certificate when they leave in year six. That will fix the problem immediately and provide young workers for all those unfilled hospitality jobs. Uh, Minister, um, but at the moment there can be up to 50 students in a class for a teacher to teach. What do you say to that? Well, I think the limit should be 70, but no more than that. So you're saying limited now up to, to 70, is that right? That's correct, Phil. I Have you not heard the phrase, Doctor, heal thyself? I like to say, student, teach thyself. In this way, the teacher is more of a security guard or warden. So, so up to 70 and the teacher becomes uh, like a security person, yes? Correct, Phil. And I think that we should enforce teachers to, like America, wear guns to protect themselves. And in this way, it should improve the whole situation. Minister, finally, there's been comment that most of the employees of the Department of Education and Training and uh, NESA, the New South Wales Education Standards Authority, um, uh, have no education experience or training and they've never been teachers and some of them have never been in the classroom or certainly haven't been in the classroom for the last 20 or 30 years. But they are making policy for educators What do you say to that? Phil, get serious. My people are administrators. They don't need a knowledge of teaching kiddies or classroom. I have an excellent team of computer operators, call centre staff and some who still use pens. Yes, I have staff who specialise in Zoom meetings. Phil, some of them have Zoom meetings with each other. It's terrific. They don't need a knowledge of education for that. No, seemingly seemingly not. Uh, Minister, is there anything you just wanted to finish off with? Phil, I'll say it again. We definitely don't have a teacher shortage, but we do have too many students. Once our new policy comes in, there will be less and all will be well. We'll also have more young workers, and won't that be great? I'll finish with a big thank you to all the teachers. Hang in there and register now for your fully tax-deductible Glock 6mm pistol and, of course, the mandatory training that goes along with it. Teachers, thanks, thanks, thanks. thanks. And thank you, Minister for Education in New South Wales. Now, that really wasn't Sarah Mitchell, the Minister for Education, although uh, I did ask twice, actually, uh, for an interview with Sarah, uh, and it was declined in the nicest possible way. The, uh, The decline came in the form of an email. Thank you for your time in reaching out. Unfortunately, the minister is not available for these types of interviews. That's what it said. I don't know what type of interview it is. But anyway, the minister had spoken frequently on the questions you have listed in Parliament on 60 Minutes and countless news articles. 
Well, um, Sarah Mitchell, this podcast goes directly to teachers and your department employs teachers. It probably would be nice if your voice could be heard as you are the Minister for Education. And just having an interview on 60 Minutes doesn't address all of the issues that need to be addressed. Next week, I'll be interviewing, hopefully, Laura Milkins from... Uh, the Department of Education and Training in New South Wales regarding inclusion and behaviour. It's really inclusion week. It'll be week seven, or episode seven, on marking the role. My name is Phil Dye. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.